0: So, who was there, the first service that we opened up without any restrictions, only guidelines in August, who was there? There wasn't many of us, but who was there? A few hands, or are you, you going to regret putting your hands up now? <coughs> Do you remember the general knowledge quiz that we did right at the beginning of the service that day? No? Okay. But I'm going to do the same quiz today. One, to test your memories. And two, because inside that quiz (coughs) is our theme for today. So, here's the question. What are the top five subjects Jesus preached on during his earthly ministry? What are the top five subjects that Jesus preached on During his earthly ministry, what is the top one? Anyone remember? No. Kingdom Kingdom of God. Who said that? Who said that? Oh, well done. Barbara, well done. Kingdom of God was the biggest subject that Jesus spoke on during his earthly ministry. Who can remember number two? No, it wasn't. No. Keep going, we'll get there. <laughs> Anyone remember? Prayer. No. Salvation. No. Prayer. No. If you remember, salvation, actually, I haven't got the lower end, but it was the top 50. Salvation was toward the bottom, believe it or not. But anyway, uh, the second was God the Father. God the Father. <laughs> Third. <laughs> faith. The fourth, our topic for today, anyone guess? Money. And go on, let's go for the fifth. Anyone know what the fifth might be? No, it's not (laughs) love. Satan. Satan. Today, we will be reminding ourselves of some good principles of the use of money and what God expects of us as Christians with regard to money. It's one of those subjects, isn't it, that we all sort of get a little bit uncomfortable about. Um, But bear with me. Let's do this together. Let's go on this journey together and let the, the Lord minister to our hearts. Amen? Amen. Right, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 starting from verse 1. so 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting from verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction... Not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. (coughs) Heavenly Father, it's always a privilege to open your word. It is a book, a letter of just pure truth, of love of correction, of honesty, that is meant for us, your people, Lord, to help us draw closer to you. So this morning, Lord, I pray that you speak through me, that I become transparent and that your people only ever hear your voice and see your face. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In the Bible, there are approximately 500 verses Approximately 500 verses on prayer and faith. There are over 2,000 verses that deal with money. Approximately 40% of Jesus' parables deal with money. How we are to manage and steward money. The danger of money. And also the goodness that can come from money. Money is a funny thing, isn't it? We have a bit of a a love-hate relationship with it. When we don't have it, we want it. When we do have money, we want more and end up spending it on things we don't actually need. On a basic level, we need it to pay our bills, to buy shopping, to buy clothes. And on the other end of the spectrum, it is the foundation of our commercial world and the governing of this country and many other countries. It is used for good by many charities to bring relief and care to those who are suffering, but is also used to gain power over people, gain status in society. And it is also unfortunately used way too often for corruption for extortion. Money is common and widespread as the air that we breathe and governs every aspect of our life, whether we realise that or not, where we work, where we live, how we live and how long we may live. It consumes our thoughts, focuses our ambitions, colours Our dreams, sparks, our disputes, stokes our anxieties, and can be poison to our souls. For the best part of 13, 14 years, I used to work in the security industry, dealing with or specialising in money, the transportation of money. And there were a lot of people out there that wanted what we had. So you can imagine some of the interesting stories I could probably tell. However, I also saw how it corrupted people who I used to work with. When you would deal with, you would have a cage of two million pounds of money sitting there, or carrying bags of 36,000 pounds, maybe 50 times a day. Money does become paper, but the problem is the moment when somebody runs into difficulty, the moment that they have a financial problem, it stops being just your work product and becomes something that you need and desire, that leads to people, unfortunately, trying to steal it. And I have been in too many situations where I've had to frisk people down and found money. People I've known for years in their pockets because they've run on hard times, and they didn't tell anybody. It can really corrupt. It's a poison if it's not dealt with correctly. But how did money as we know it come about? A recent article on the history of money said this, when there was no currency, people traded goods and service for what they needed. One farmer might trade livestock for vegetables, while another may trade labour for lumber, uh, labour or lumber for livestock. These transactions were the early building blocks of our modern economy and would go on to create the future of money the world knows today. You might not see it from there, but what's that for those who can't see it? Look at the shape, unique shape. Go on, shout it out. 20p. Great. Don't worry, there's not normally that in there. <laughs> What's that? Who said? 20 quid, yeah? Great, lovely. This is a good game. What's that? <laughs> Bank card, credit card, that type of thing? Yeah? yeah? Nope. you're all wrong. That is just plastic. Yeah, it's just a bit of plastic. That's all it is. That is just a lump of metal. That's all it is. A lump of metal that's been pressed into that shape. That is just a bit of paper. Well, it's not actually anymore. They, because too many, too many raids were happening in my old industry, they actually turned these into more plastic. But I won't go into that today but it is just plastic or paper, depending. That's all it is. At a base level, what, how do these items get their value? How do they get their value? What makes that valuable? Mm, yeah, you're on the right track there. Yeah, elements of trust, absolutely. But at a base level, the value of this only comes if there is a demand for it. If there is a demand for this bit of paper, it becomes valuable to people. If the demand was high, its value would be higher. If the demand was low, it would be worth nothing. If I was in the middle of Las Vegas, not that I'd want to be in the middle of Las Vegas, but if I was there, this note, would have value that I could barter to try and earn and win more money. If I was on a desert island or on the moon, how much value do you think this would have? (laughs) It might be all right to burn a fire, or at least, well, you probably even get that, maybe get something going. But it would have no value, would it? Because there's no demand for money on a desert island. The article goes on. Interestingly enough, money often has no intrinsic value. Instead, money is an object that has a value placed upon it, which allows for the trade of goods and services. Some money, such as metal coins, has actual value in terms of the materials used So that, even if it wasn't a 20p, that piece of metal might have in itself a little bit of value. However, paper money is more common in the modern world and typically has no real value. Have any of you noticed what's written under the Bank of England on the top of these? Yeah, I can hear it, I can hear it being whispered, whispered around. I promise to pay the bearer on demand the sum of £20. In essence, this is an IOU. It means if I was to rock up to the Bank of England, which I have been to a few times, and say, I want to put this in and claim back the value of this, they would give me, in essence, £20 worth of gold or in coin, whatever it may be. The truth is, money is a figment of the human imagination. It is is real only to the extent that we allow it to rule our lives and our relationships with one another. We read that again. The truth is, money is a figment of the human imagination. We created it because we put value on material things and made them valuable. It is real only to the extent that we allow it to rule our lives and our relationships with one another. Today, it is not my intention as we work through this to make anybody feel bad about money. I'm not here to challenge how you spend it, where you spend it, and on whom, you spend it, and I am definitely not going to stand here and plead for money because I need a private jet or, uh, or a plane for, for welcomes Worldwide Ministry. That is not my heart at all, all right? I want us to understand the blessing that money can be to others, to ourselves, to the world around us. And as always, our source of truth on this will be scripture. In our main passage today, taken from Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, he is urging them to be ready with their financial gift to the Jerusalem church, the believers in Jerusalem. He starts in our passage today by referring to the Macedonian church, Northern Greece in modern time. Back then, it would have been the churches of Philippi and uh, Thessalonica. Those sorts of churches. But the question is, why is Paul asking for funds in the first place? And Dr Luke gives us a clue in the book of Acts. In Acts 11, 27 to 30, he, uh, we read this. During this time... Some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Now, there were various famines throughout the Roman uh, Empire during the reign of Emperor Claudius, and it's believed that this famine in Jerusalem would have been around the time of AD 56 57, that sort of time. In Josephus, uh, aqu- uh, Antiquities of the Jews, he mentions Queen Helena, a Jew who brought grain in Egypt and figs from Cyprus for the relief of the hard-pressed Judeans. He says this in his writings. Now her coming was a very great advantage to the people of Jerusalem for whereas a famine did oppress them at the time and many people died for want of what was necessary to pr- procure food withal. Queen Helena sent some of her servants to Alexandria with money to buy a great quantity of corn and others of them to Cyprus to bring a cargo of dried figs. So during the famine, this hard time in Jerusalem, Paul sought the support of the Gentile church to help Why? first and foremost because they were in great need. They needed the support. But I also believe that he did so to try to help unite the relationship between the Gentile churches and also the Jewish community. The Macedonian church were one of the first to respond with their gifts to the troubled church in Jerusalem. They were a not a rich church. They were actually not a very big church. They were not rich, but they were able to give generously to the needed believers in Jerusalem. And not just because they gave more than they needed to. Sorry, they gave more than what they needed to. And they did so, as we read, with joy. And only after pleading with Paul for the privilege to give, I don't remember the last time any any of us elders had anyone knock on the door pleading with us to give, but this is what we read here in this situation. Let's explore our main passage today. Verse 1, we read, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. Paul begins by sharing with the Corinthians that the giving of the uh, the Macedonian church was because of the grace God had given them. In his first few words, Paul shows he considers both the opportunity and the willingness to give a gift of the grace of God. Grace is the root and fountain of all good in us. It is the root of all we do at any time. It is only because of God's great grace and favour that we are made useful in his kingdom to bless others. Every time you or I give generously As a believer, in the name of Jesus, we are manifesting the grace of God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? When we give to someone out of the love of our hearts, we are manifesting God's grace in that situation. He goes on to say in the passage, for in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. I find this astonishing. Here we have a church who were not wealthy themselves, who didn't have much to give but who were willing to give to the cause. And the Macedonians gave in two ways. The first is this. They gave according to their ability. Their gift wasn't going to go very far. It really wasn't. If you're in a poor church and you don't have a lot, your gift isn't going to go very far. It will all help. It was never going to be a large financial gift because, as Paul says, they gave through extreme poverty themselves. The second is this. Since their hearts were freely given to give, and they gave in proportion to the little they have, they gave beyond their ability. It's a similar story in the Gospels. I'm sure you remember the, the widows mites or the mites or the the two coins. The lady who walked in and all she had was two coins to give. And you had the uh, rich man. She only gave two mites, a small amount of money, and she gave according to her ability what she had. Let's be honest, she could have kept one of those coins, couldn't she? She could have said, well, actually, I'm going to keep one for myself and then I'll put the other one in, 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 in the offering at the time. But she chose not to. She gave all she had, and the same principle of giving was evident in Macedonian churches. They did so with much joy and pleading to the Apostle Paul to join in his privilege of sharing and service they gave sacrificially beyond their ability. As he says, if we read, continue reading in our verse, he says this, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. Why, why would someone who was living in hardship themselves, with not a lot themselves, plead, plead to take part in giving to other people. Out of our whole passage today, is this part in this verse, uh, this or well, this verse, that I find incredibly perplexing, but at the same time incredibly wonderful and humbling. I would suggest to you that there are two reasons for their zealousness, if that's even a word. It sounds all right in my head. I'm not sure if it's a word or not. Zealousness. The first is this. They had grasped something. They had understood something. And what they understood, we get a clue if we turn to Romans 15, starting from verse 26. And it says this. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people. So here's Paul again speaking to the Roman church about what we've just, well, the people are reading about. Among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. And here's the thing. For if... The Gentiles have shared... So the Gentiles are everybody who isn't a Jew. So if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them in their material blessings. Let me read that again. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings... They owe it to the Jews to share with them in their material blessings. What was the Jews' spiritual blessings that the Gentiles received? Absolutely. The gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first, to the Jew, and then to the Gentiles. That is the blessing that they've received. The Macedonian church have received from Paul and his companions the blessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a gift. What a gift. The second reason is this. The blessing given to them by the Jews, i.e. the gospel, led them to devote their entire lives and being to God. And we see this if we keep reading in this passage. It carries on and says, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. Excuse me, and then by the will of God to us also. They devoted themselves to God. That changes us, changes our perception, our perspective on life. Things we thought were once important that we held on to no longer become important and something to, to grasp because we have something more, something more precious. That's the gospel of Jesus. Those poor people in in the Macedonian church consecrated themselves to the Lord. That is why they responded with such generosity to God's people in Jerusalem. They understood that material things are a gift from God to be used for his glory and they were materially poor but by gosh they were spiritually rich and they wholeheartedly believed in the promise of God laid out in his word promise and truths like we read if we we're to turn over the page into 2 Corinthians 9 Paul says this remember this and Many of us in here know this verse, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So what does this mean for us? The truth is, all we have is God's. The bricks in our house, the clothes in our cupboards, the money in the bank. It all comes from God. Not necessarily directly, but he's the source of it all. Why? Because he wants to bless you. First and foremost, you're his children. He wants to bless you. So that we may be a blessing to others around us. And that while blessing others, we can share God's grace and righteousness with them. Jesus is quoted by Paul as saying it is better to give than receive. How many of you have heard that before? It's better to give than receive. (coughs) Do you know, not once in the Gospels you find that Jesus say that in the Gospels. Did you know that? There's a bit of homework for you. Paul refers in Acts that Jesus said it in scripture so we believe that Jesus did say that and I do believe Jesus did say that but it's one of only a few things where you can't find that Jesus is saying in the actual gospels itself There's some light light homework for you this afternoon so we have seen that money is a pressure is is precious to us let's be all honest with that it is precious to us and it's as precious as we want to make it It has, in essence, no intrinsic value, only the value that we place upon it as a world, as a nation, as countries. We have seen the dangers the love of money can have and the corruption that it can bring. We read about the poor people who understood the spiritual wealth and the blessing that came with it is more important than the financial or material possession and we have seen that what you give what i give is not what's important it's the heart it's the heart in why i give and what i give that's what god's interested in he doesn't need money he's the god of all things but he's interested in why we give and the heart in why we give As we begin to bring this into land, I want to share with you some basic biblical principles based on some of the Bible passages that we have read here today. Principles that our Lord Jesus himself shared and also others that we see in the Bible. Number one, the Lord Jesus expects and requires us to give. In Matthew 6 we read Jesus he's speaking about giving to the needy and and I'm he said this when you give not if you give when you give that should tell us a heck of a lot if Jesus is saying that to the believers there is an expectation there christian giving is not optional but rather essential And that includes uh, benevolent and charity, giving. Wherever the need is and however the means we have and we can do something, then God expects us to. He's got our back. He will look out for us. Don't panic about that. He's just looking for us to be faithful and reach the need in those moments. Number two, the Lord Jesus wants us to give for the right reasons. In the same passage, Jesus, in, Ma- in, in Matthew, Jesus warned his disciples not to give for the sake of being admired by mankind around us. He said this, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. When we give, we must be careful careful to examine our motives we ought to give for the glory of God and for the good of his people and we should try to do it without bragging or without boasting and where possible discreetly number three the Lord Jesus reminds us that our giving is ultimately to our all-seeing heavenly father again the same passage Jesus says He's already said, when you give, toward the end of that passage, he said, your father who sees what he's done in secret will reward you. When we give, we are giving up a thank offering. It's a thank offering to God the Father for everything he's given us. Number four, the Bible teaches that Christian giving is an act of worship. Paul teaches the Corinthians that they're taking up of the collection is an act of worship which is to be part of their regular lord's day worship he says this in 1 corinthians on the first day of every week each one of you is to put aside and save now paul is speaking here of the collection of the saints and you can read that in 1 corinthians this is given by the church to the church the church. When we give our offering each week, we are worshipping Almighty God in accordance with his word. Number five, the Bible teaches that Christian giving should be done in light of the incarnation. Many Christians argue about the tithe, the 10%. Is it still the standard for our giving to the church? I would suggest to you this morning that Paul closes the whole debate in one verse. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become Rich, I would suggest to you that Christ's self-giving is now the standard for our giving. 10% is a good benchmark, but it's not a rule. That's how we do ours. We aim for 10%, but that's not because that is biblical requirement now, but it's a good principle. The Bible teaches... That Christian giving should be done in accordance with our means. That's number six. Paul is quite clear on this. He says again in 2 Corinthians: "For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable, according to what one has, uh, according to what one has, not according to what one does not have." Put another way, Paul is saying that you should give in proportion to what God has given you. Since we are all supposed to give proportionally, quite simply put, those who have more money, God expects them to give more. And you have no idea how much that makes me feel uncomfortable up here saying that. But it's truth. However, the Lord never asks us to give what we do not have or contribute beyond our means number seven the bible teaches us that liberality of god's blessing to us is connected to the liberality of our christian giving both jesus and paul emphasize that there is a relationship between our giving to the lord and the lord's giving to us and again we read in two Corinthians now this i say he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and he who says bountifully will also reap bountifully we've already read that passage someone once said the desire to be generous and the means to be generous both come from god number eight penultimate the bible teaches that christian giving must be willing giving free giving we have learned this in two corinthians already each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. But doesn't this contradict what we have just learned on our point one, the first principle, that uh, Christian giving is not optional? No. True Christian giving is both mandatory and voluntary. It is required by God but always willingly given by the believers. Last one. The Bible teaches that Christian giving ought to be cheerfully given. As Paul says, God loves a cheerful giver. Paul assures us here that the Lord takes a special delight in those who are joyful, energetic, and merry givers. Mr. the would like to come up. Thank you. The truth is that those nine points there are not exhaustive. There are many, many other, other principles relating around money that I could have shared. And I encourage you, because this can be such a controversial area, I encourage you to go away and look at it yourself. Don't let it be just one of those gray areas that we want to avoid. All we have comes from the Lord, and he wants us to use that to bless others. It's it's not exhaustive. The work of God has to continue. And part of that work is giving away resources that God has blessed us with. It is an outward, practical expression of grace, humility, compassion, and righteousness, giving to someone in need, giving to the poor, contributing to the payment maybe of medical support for someone, helping someone to make ends meet in a difficult period of their life. There are many ways that as Christians we can give, and none actually so important or secondary only to blessing someone who's in desperate need that you walk past in the street is a work of the ministry. This offering, this, this money that Paul was collecting was to go to help the church in Jerusalem to meet their needs so they can continue to minister to those who still need to hear the gospel in Jerusalem. I just want to say before we close, if you give to the work here at Welcome, I just really want to say a big thank you real faithful giving. I'm sure Barry will agree with me on that. We have such faithful people here. And I really do thank you on behalf of myself, the elders and and Barry. Because it means we can carry on doing what we do. It means we can reach people. It means that we can support people in practical needs. I really do thank you for that. Let us continue to be generous people. Trust God. He's always got our backs. Let's continue to give our best to the work of welcome. And it might be that if if you're not a giver here, it might be something you're considering. It might be something that God's put your heart on. That's okay. Just come and speak to one of us. That's fine. But today is not about pressurising anybody. It's about starting that journey of us understanding money and the relationship that as, as, uh, as God's people we are to have with it and what we can use it for. Amen? Amen. Amen. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, because of the world that we live in, this whole area, this whole subject of money is such a controversial area. But Lord, we know and we recognise that you are our provider. That you know what it is we need. And as long, Lord, as we are faithful to you and we commit to you, And as the Macedonian church did, they placed you first in all things. Lord, you will be there for us. I pray, Lord, that you give us that same zeal that the Macedonian church had. Looking, pleading with you for opportunities to be able to bless people, to bless maybe the ministry here other ministries, Christian ministries that we feel so strongly to support. Help us to have the Macedonian heart when it comes to giving. But give us the confidence to do so in the assurance that you know what's best for us and that you will pour your blessings out upon us. Bless us this morning, Lord, as we prepared to bring this uh, time together to a close and enjoy some fellowship with one another in jesus name we pray Amen. amen amen let's use this song as a response